You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. So, we, uh, we'll be in, uh, in Daniel uh, chapter 10. And, uh, and if you haven't been with us or if you just need a real uh, quick recap, uh, generally I, I try to spend some time like kind of setting context and all that stuff. Uh, unfortunately, um, we just don't have time for that. So real quick, I'll do context in like two minutes, maybe one minute. So uh, we're in the book of Daniel. It's an Old Testament book. Uh, the book is generally split into two sections. So the first section is largely narrative. So it's Daniel's life. He goes through certain kings and kingdoms and all that stuff. The second section of the book is largely uh, visions. So what you find out in the second half of the book is that during all this stuff in the narrative section, Daniel himself has been having dreams and visions himself. And uh, so that's where we are. We're in the second half. We've actually been in the second half for quite some time. And, uh, and so we're going to be uh, getting into uh, to chapter 10. Also, a little bit of context and just setting up uh, things moving forward. Uh, chapter 10 starts the last vision of the book of Daniel. So at this point, Daniel is about 85 years old. So he's at the very end of his life. Um, and, uh, and he has this last vision. This vision will go on for chapter 10, 11, and 12. So uh, the reason why we're setting that context is because next week, uh, Flo is going to get into chapter 11. So good luck to you. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, chapter 12, uh, Ovi is going to, to wrap up uh, the last vision of the book of Daniel. Um, also, just a disclaimer, um, I have developed this theory, this hypothesis, that you can't read too much scripture in a sermon. Um, and so I'm going to test that hypothesis today, and we are going to read quite a bit. So uh, bear with me uh, as we go through everything, and, um, and if it gets a little lengthy or if we're reading too much scripture, uh, just know um, it's not a worst-case scenario, right? If anything, that, that might be a best-case scenario, that we just read God's word more than, uh, more than what I'm just trying to communicate. So uh, what I'd like to do is I'm going to read all of chapter 10. We're going to pray, and then we're just going to get into things. So, uh, the text is, uh, again, chapter 10. Uh, it should be up on the screen if you want to follow along, or you can follow along in your own scriptures if you'd like. All right, chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. The message was true, and it concerned great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man dressed in linen whose waist had a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body was like, was also was like topaz, and his face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and his feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words was like the sound of a multitude. Now I, Daniel, alone saw this vision. While the men who were with me 
uh, did not see the vision, nevertheless, a great fear fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I alone, um, so I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my complexion had turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me and shook me to my hands and my knees. And he said to me, Daniel, you who are treasured, understand the words that I'm about to tell you uh, and stand in your place. For I have now been sent to you. But when you had spoken this word to me, I, stu he, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the king of Persia was standing in my way for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the latter days, because the vision pertains to the days still future. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human was touching my lips. I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, My Lord, due to the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there, is, there remains now no strength in me nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one, who, this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. And he said, You who are treasured, do not be afraid. Peace be to you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke to me, I felt strengthened again. May the Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you understand why I've come to you? But I shall now return to the fight against the prince of Persia. So I am leaving, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces, except Michael, your prince. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I just, I just thank you for for this opportunity that, that you've given to us, that we get to come together and, uh, and read your word. And uh, I just ask that you, you just open our hearts to what it is that you have for us in this text. And, uh, and just help us uh, struggle through this text and, and, and allow the struggle to, uh, to really um, sink your word deep into our lives. And, uh, and allow us to be transformed and changed uh, because of the power of your word. I ask that you just continue to, uh, to bless this church, uh, continue to focus us on the task that you've given to us, and that task is to, is to share your gospel with this city. Um, I ask that you just you equip us well as our church does grow and as we, as we go about this task. Um, and I just ask that you just give us wisdom and, and, and patience uh, and, and uh, even more grace 
as we, uh, as we navigate through this life. But always keep us focused on you. And, uh, and again, I ask that you just speak to us, speak to your church uh, through this text. We love you. Amen. All right, so um, if, uh, if you're new to this church and that text was super weird, um, yeah, it is, okay? So usually, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to uh, preach a text, um, I, I mean, most pastors aren't going to be like, oh, Daniel 10, like, let's, right? so, um, but, uh, but the reason why we're doing this is, uh, is we believe here at Summit that every text within, uh, within the scriptures, and Ovi talked about this last week, every text uh, 2 Timothy uh, 3.16 says that all scripture is, uh, is God-breathed, right, and, uh, and beneficial uh, to us for, for our work and, uh, and for rebuke and for teaching, uh, so on and so forth. So uh, we, we believe that every, uh, every piece of the scripture is, uh, is preachable, right? And that's why we are, we are going through uh, strange texts like uh, Daniel chapter 10, uh, and we have gone through strange texts like uh, uh, like seven, uh, chapter seven, um, and uh, next week we'll be going through eleven. However, there uh, within this text there is I, I want to get into a little bit of a academic discussion. Um, now, just want to frame that uh, we're not going to get too academic. And also, what I want you guys to recognize is that the implications of this academic discussion really don't change much. However, I want to expose you guys to it because it's going to inform kind of how we progress throughout the rest of the text. So uh, the question that we're really faced with is, uh, is, well, first of all, who is this person that Daniel sees, right? The first thing you need to identify is who are the, the people in the text, right? Who are the characters? So we know Daniel. Uh, we also have his buddies that ran away. Um, and, uh, and then we have this, this man, right? Uh, this man, he has a face like lightning. His eyes are like torches, um, his, uh, his hands and his feet are like polished bronze. Uh, he has a, uh, a golden sash uh, around his waist. Uh, he has linen clothes, uh, so on and so forth. So it really begs this question, who, who is this individual? And there's a lot of discussion on that. Um, and, uh, and then also there's some discussion on if there are other heavenly beings in this text as well. Okay? So, um, for example... Uh, I, I put some, uh, some texts up here, uh, and the debate really is, and if you didn't know this, whenever you see the word behold, especially in the middle of a, of a vision, the word behold is kind of a marker, and it's meant to cue the reader into, hey, pay attention. Something new is being introduced into the vision. Uh, sometimes uh, the word behold just means a brand new vision, right? It, it's, we're starting over. It's a whole new thing. Sometimes it's just a new character is being introduced. Sometimes it's a new time frame being introduced. Sometimes it's just a new object of importance that's being introduced. But when you see the word behold in a prophetic text, that's meant to cue you to, hey, behold, right? Pay attention, listen, focus. And so with that, uh, some, some scholars have believed that there's actually multiple heavenly beings here in this text. So uh, this one that's uh, dressed in linen is one of those, uh, one of those beings. Uh, we also have in, uh, in yeah, 10.5, we have that individual. 10.10, uh, 10, we have a, then behold, a hand touched me and shook me on my hands and my knees. So potentially that might be another heavenly being that's come into play. Or it might just be uh, the, the individual that was talked about before. 
Uh, also, 1013, uh, it says, uh, But the prince of Persia was standing in my way for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, um, again, and behold, Michael, there's a new character uh, introduced. Uh, one of the chief priests came to help me, and, uh, and I was left there with the, king, uh, with the kings of Persia. Uh, uh, 1016 says, and behold, so potentially introducing something new, um, is one who resembles a human was touching my lips. Uh, and then uh, again at the very end it says, uh, then this one with human appearance um, touched me again and strengthened me. So there's, there's a lot of different views here, right? Um, some people believe that this one that's dressed in linen, uh, he's the same character throughout the whole thing, right? Outside of Michael. Uh, actually, I did read one commentary that said the one that's dressed in linen is Michael, uh, which could be true. So uh, the, the reason why we need to have this conversation, the reason why we need to understand this uh, is that uh, as we progress and we ask ourselves who are these characters, uh, what we need to remember about apocalyptic literature is that everything is in there for a reason. Just like, and I mentioned this last time I preached, it's like looking at fine art. We can ask ourselves, why did the, why did the artist put that in there? Right? It didn't have to be there. That bowl of fruit didn't have to be in that painting. Why did the artist choose that? And here, we need to also ask ourselves, why is this in apocalyptic literature? Why did God add that in? And, uh, and so as we're going through this text, we do need to ask ourselves, um, kind of, there, there are these heavenly beings and who are they? But really the implication of it, and this is the most important thing, the implication of it is that uh, it doesn't matter who you think these heavenly beings are, the fact of the matter is that they work for God. And that, that's really the, the crux of it. And the reason why that's important is because um, mo most people believe, and we'll look at a text that actually kind of uh, proves this out, uh, but this one dressed in linen seems to be most clearly representing Jesus Christ. And the reason why that's important is because if this one is Jesus Christ, and he's the same character that's gone throughout, then why is it that Jesus Christ was opposed by the Prince of Persia and he needed help? You guys see how that's a problem? Okay, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the one that, that has actually manufactured all of creation. So when, when God said, let there be light, and we find out uh, that Jesus was the one that actually manufactured the light, how does that one go up against a prince of Persia and is helpless and he needs Michael to help him? Okay, so there, there are theological implications to this. And that's why some people say, no, no, there's other heavenly beings here, right? So the, the one dressed in linen just showed up, and then other heavenly beings, like, say, Gabriel, uh, he comes in, and he's actually the one that's speaking to Daniel. So does that make sense? We all tracking so far? Okay, so let's, let's pretend that this is Jesus, and Jesus is the one that's talking to Daniel. Does that actually really create that much of a theological issue that the Prince of Persia uh, stood against Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, and then Jesus waited until Michael came to help him. It, it really doesn't change anything. And, and, and that, that might come as a shock to you, but you need to ask yourselves, do we resist God? Yes. So it, it's possible, it is possible that Jesus, the Prince of Persia, resists Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, and Jesus chooses to let the prince of Persia do what he wants, and Jesus chooses to wait until Michael shows up to do what Jesus wants him to do. 
that's perfectly within the realm of possibility. And that's, that's why we need to understand if this is Jesus, that this changes this passage. Jesus himself is standing before Daniel and talking to Daniel and touching Daniel and comforting Daniel. That changes things. And so that, that's why this academic is, uh, discussion is important, but really in reality, it doesn't change much in the fact that even if this isn't the pre-incarnate Jesus, it still means that God comforts his people. And that, that's really the thrust. And so moving forward, um, and that's, uh, that's kind of my personal uh, belief. Um, so this isn't gospel, it's just Lucas-isms. So take that for what it is. My personal uh, belief is that this is the person of Jesus Christ before the incarnation, um, and, uh, and the other uh, beholds may be introducing uh, another uh, heavenly being. Uh, it certainly seems like it would be Gabriel, given how he touches and interacts with, uh, with Daniel. All right, so now that that discussion is out of the way, I want to introduce my three points. So these three points, uh, the first one is that uh, we understand our answered prayers better when we understand the, gl the glory of our God. I'll say that one more time. We understand our answered prayers better when we understand the glory of our God. The second point is that our prayers have spiritual and material consequences. That's, that's a pretty heavy one. Our prayers have consequences. And not just physical or material consequences, it actually sets in motion things in the spiritual realm. And lastly, God will provide strength and comfort uh, when we need or to his people. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll take a, a closer look into that first point, which again is we understand our answered prayers better when we understand the glory of our God. So we're going to look at uh, uh, verses 1 through 3 uh, again, and it says, In the third year of, the king of, uh, of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true, and it concerned great conflict. But he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth. Nor did I anoint at all until the three weeks were completed. All right, so uh, if you were with us in the D groups uh, this last session, uh, you remember Ezra. And if you remember King Cyrus, Cyrus was actually the one that, that signed the decree that sent the Jews back to Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar had actually deported all the Jews, right? And the temple was destroyed. King Cyrus, this King Cyrus, he was the one that actually sent the Jews back to Jerusalem. And he sent the Jews back to actually rebuild the temple. And it wasn't because he was a nice guy. It was actually because he wanted the Jewish God to be on Persia's side. And so he figured he could buy the Jewish God off by sending his people back to rebuild the, rebuild the temple. So, uh, that's, that's kind of what's going on here. And in the third year of King, uh, of King Cyrus of Persia, uh, so the Jews have actually already been back. At this point, uh, the foundations may have already been laid at this point. Uh, however, uh, if you remember, by Ezra 4, uh, they were met with so much opposition that the Jewish people actually stopped rebuilding the temple. Probably around, somewhere around this point. So it begs the question, uh, when you're reading this text, why was Daniel fasting? Why was he mourning? Why was he? It may have been this. 
this may have been the reason. And if you remember the first group of Jews that actually went back to Jerusalem, they came back from Babylon. Uh, but here Daniel says that he was standing at the, uh, at the bank of the river Tigris, which means he would have been in Persia, not Babylon. So Daniel actually almost kind of missed his chance to go back home. I mean, you, you can see why this, this would cause some pretty, pretty egregious and, and pretty gross mourning. He, he left Jerusalem as a kid, and, and now all these people get to go back, and he, he's, he's not available. He can't go. And then he hears that some people did go back, and then they started rebuilding the temple, but it just didn't take. And then he also, during this time, again, if you read Ezra, the first four chapters, you find that tons, there was massive amounts of Jews that had the opportunity in Babylon to go back home, but they decided not to. They called Babylon home. And this, this again, just grieves Daniel. How, how is this possible? How is it that you all get to go home and you're not? How is it that you lived in Jerusalem and now you're calling home Babylon? And this generates this, this, this deep mourning and grief. And so as he's fasting and he's praying, uh, he prays for three weeks and he uh, fasts for three weeks. Now, the way that he fasts is very particular. Uh, he does not eat any tasty food or meat or wine. Now, it's a very a particular fast. That's actually kind of what happens during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which actually would be the first week of the year. So, it's almost as if uh, Daniel, in a pagan land, he was practicing the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, but in that process, he just started mourning and, and praying for his people, praying for the people of Jerusalem, and he just extended it for three weeks. So two more weeks, he, starts, he keeps practicing this Feast of Unleavened Bread. And as he's doing that, uh, that's when he's on the bank of Tigris. Um, it seems as though he was on some kind of official business, otherwise he wouldn't have had people with him. And that's when he sees this vision. And this this vision, it really, um, it, this person just perfectly encapsulates the glory of God. I don't want to get into all the instances of people uh, or different descriptions of God's glory that perfectly resemble this, uh, but you can look up uh, Ezekiel 1, there's Ezekiel 4, um, there's uh, a couple times in Revelations, it also depicts uh, these same images. But this individual, whether it be Jesus or some other heavenly being, this individual, just, it just glows and radiates the glory of God. And in that moment when Daniel sees this glory of God, is he, is he mourning anymore? And the answer is, no, he's actually, he's actually dead, right? That's, that's the result of him actually seeing this glory. As he says, he, he had a deathly pallor go on, his face, uh, go on his body, and then he just falls with his face to the ground, uh, a deep sleep, Right? And it, it's almost as if Daniel, when he sees the glory of God, he just falls dead. And it's, it's this, this understanding of uh, the things that concern us tend to take back seat when we actually view the glory of God. When we know the glory of God, when we understand who God is, our concerns tend to shrink away. 
And, and I think that's what's being shown to Daniel is, is Daniel, he's, he's crying out to God, how, how can this happen? How can all these Jewish people not go, to, go back to Jerusalem? How is it that the, the temple rebuilding has stopped? How is it that I wasn't able to go? Why? And then God shows himself and Daniel understands this, this is the glory of God. What, what if God has this? What if this is all under control? And, and this is uh, another text that I want us to, to recognize. Uh, this is uh, Revelations 1, 13 through 18. And uh, in this vision, uh, John, he was uh, isolated on the, on the island of Patmos. Uh, he had a vision. And it says, in the middle of the lampstands, he saw some lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet. And wrapped around his chest was a golden sash, and his head and his hair were like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze that has been heated to a glow in a furnace. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and to Hades. When we understand who our Christ is, when we, when we fully understand who Jesus is, the things that concern us, the anxieties of this world, the things that just plague our souls, they tend to shrink away. And, and, and when we understand, truly understand who Jesus is, and we, we have these, these fanciful pictures of Jesus, right? We always want Jesus to be, um, I, I don't know, I guess like a middle-aged white guy with you know, long flowing hair, and he's always very, very meek and mild and, uh, and accommodating, right? But when we understand Jesus like this, there's a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, right? We find out later that he actually beheads the wicked with that two-edged sword, okay, when he comes out of the clouds. Uh, and uh, and uh, this, this Jesus, we need to understand that that Jesus, he cannot abide by injustice. Jesus cannot abide by injustice, but that doesn't mean that he's not loving. And in fact, that's why he died, is so that we can participate in mercy while he's still perfectly just. When we understand that Jesus is both perfectly merciful and perfectly just, we, we understand that our prayers, the things that plague us, the things that, that really just irk our hearts, uh, we need to understand that God, God's got this. He's bigger than anything that, 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 that kind of occupies our mind. And when we understand who our God is, when we understand the glory of God, the answers to our prayers become so much more clear. And you see this in Job, if you've ever read the book of Job, uh, Job cries out to God and he's, he's kind of, he's just, he's just wrecked by all the suffering that he has. And then God shows up in all of his glory and he just humbles and he just humiliates Job in front of him and he doesn't answer the questions that Job was asking. And what was Job's response? Yep, you're right. <laughs> you win, right? You got this. Job didn't need an answer anymore because he understood the glory of God. Now, that, that doesn't mean that your prayers don't matter. We'll talk about that. Your prayers absolutely matter. And Jesus even gives that parable where he says, ask your father for good things. Even earthly fathers, when, uh, when a kid asks for bread, you don't, you don't throw a rock at them, right? And even earthly fathers can figure that out. What about your heavenly father? 
He's got this. Ask for good things, but recognize that the answer to that prayer might not be what you think. And when you think that's catastrophic or you think that's some kind of injustice, remember the glory of your God. So the second point that I want to bring to our attention is our prayers have spiritual and material consequences. Spiritual and material consequences. So we'll go ahead and, uh, and read. Um, let's see, that's... Uh, sorry about that. Chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 8. text. Hold on. Yes. Verse 8. says, So I was alone and saw this great vision, and yet no strength was left in me. For my complexion turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face. And then uh, in, uh, in verse 12, uh, he says, And then he said to me, and again, this may be a new heavenly being, this may be uh, uh, the, the one dressed in linen. He says, Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this on, and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to your words. But the prince of Persia, uh, the kingdom of Persia was standing in my way for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia, and now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the latter days because of the vision that pertains still future. What we need to understand, and, and this was exactly the same language in, uh, from last week in chapter 9, is that Daniel, he spends this very long prayer, and, uh, and when uh, Gabriel comes to uh, actually answer that prayer and actually say, uh, yeah, we, we heard your prayer, this is exactly what's going on. He says, your prayer was immediately heard. We get the same exact language here. At the beginning of the three weeks, it was already done. Everything was already done. So Daniel fasted and prayed and mourned for three weeks, but it was already completed. His prayer was already heard and answered. Now, what, what's, what's probably more radical to this is that Daniel was praying and he was mourning. However, uh, what was happening in the background, what's happening behind history, and this is what all of Daniel has been talking about throughout the rest of this book, uh, is that there are, uh, there are kind of spiritual movements that are happening and actually orchestrating and moving history in a certain direction. And what, what Daniel finds out is actually his prayer actually changed or motivated some of that architecture behind history. Now, that, that, that's massive. And I think about that. So there's, there's machinery behind history that's actually shaping history in a certain direction. And Daniel's prayer actually set in motion something in the spiritual realm. Something so important that the prince of Persia, the spiritual prince, so this would be some kind of uh, spiritual king or demon, uh, whatever uh, you, you might consider that. So some demon actually 
he saw this happening. He saw this machinery working. He knew that Daniel had prayed this prayer. He knew that this one was actually coming to give a message to Daniel, and he thought it was important to allocate his time and energy to oppose this message from getting to Daniel. Daniel's prayer not only set in motion certain spiritual forces, but he actually initiated a spiritual battle that occurred on behalf of Daniel. Now, if, if we just let that sink in, and we just, we just really think about the fact where we're praying for, I don't know, so-and-so to be healed, or we're, we're praying for, uh, for some situation to be resolved, or, or we're praying for uh, lost souls in, in Garden City, right? We want those things to be physically manifested, right? We want, we want those people to actually come to, uh, come to Christ. We actually want real resolution. But think about the fact that, that our prayers, what we just did at the beginning of this service, that, that prayer sets in motion spiritual warfare. It sets in motion spiritual consequences. And, and uh, Paul was, uh, was no stranger to this. He even talks about this in Ephesians 6. We'll go ahead and read that. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in his strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm uh, against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. This is not some obscure uh, concept that existed in the Old Testament where everything was like uh, kind of mystical. No, no, Paul, Paul knew this. He knew this well. He knew that our, our fight, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against raging against the government that's treating us unjustly. It's not against uh, proving people wrong because their ideas don't reflect ours. Our struggle is against spiritual forces. And when we pray, when we set things into motion in the spiritual realm, we have to recognize that that stirs up the evil forces in the spiritual realm, doesn't it? Just like Daniel. Daniel prayed and a, uh, God's messenger was sent, but it actually stirred up the prince of Persia to stand in the way. And this, what we're doing, what we do when we pray, it has spiritual and physical consequences. And we need to understand that what we do when we're praying, we're, we're playing with things that we don't understand. But God says, uh, don't worry about that though. I, I got that, Right? And even Paul says, uh, all you need to do is put on the full armor of God. You focus on chasing Christ and pray and, and do the work of reconciliation. Do the work of spreading the gospel. You focus on that. I'll take care of the spiritual warfare side. But don't be ignorant to the fact that it's not happening. It's absolutely happening. But I got that. You worry about your part. I'll take care of the rest. And, and that's, that's what's, what's happening here is, is it begs this question. Uh, when you, I remember reading this, when, this passage when I was a kid, and I was just like, wait, angels were fighting, and that's all we get to know. Like, come on, like, give, give me something more. Like, Mike, he, had to, like, call, he had to, like, tag Michael in, and Michael had to, like, beat up this guy. Like, what, what's happening, right? And the fact of the matter is, who cares, right? God's got that. We, we can't be ignorant to the fact that it's not happening, but, it, but we need, do need to understand that when, when we're praying for things, uh, we're, we're, praying, we're setting in th things in motion that we don't understand. And that, that requires faith, trusting that God is going to take care of that. 
and also being prepared. Because if our prayers do stir up evil forces, we need to be prepared for that counterattack. We need to be prepared for when evil forces stand against us as well. That's where the armor of God comes in. The last thing that I want us to focus on is that God will provide strength and comfort, the, the strength and comfort that we need. So chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 20, Daniel says, and then he said, and again, this, this individual that's talking to him, whether that be some other agent or it's the individual uh, dressed in linen. He says, then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm leaving and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the writing of truth. And yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Now again, we, we get a little bit more in information about uh, kind of the mechanisms behind history. Uh, we find out that Michael, he seems to be uh, the archangel or the uh, prince or ruler, spiritual ruler over God's people. And so he's the one that seems to be most concerned with actually working on behalf of God's people, protecting them, fighting on their behalf. And this individual who's speaking is also participating in the fight. But something I, I really want us to, uh, to focus on is this question. This is the first question that this person, this individual, actually asks Daniel. So Daniel has just been revived, fully revived. And this individual says, do you understand why I came to you? Just think about that. Why, why would he ask? He just told him why he came. And now he's asking Daniel, like, focus. Do you understand why I'm here? There's a fight going on that I really need to be a part of, but that's paused because I'm here. Do you know why? Do you, do you understand why I'm here? And the answer to that question is actually in, uh, found in verse 12. Uh, this, uh, this individual says, I have come in response to your words. That's why he had come. And again, referencing back to the previous point, uh, is that our, our prayers have consequences. And, and we, we can't be ignorant to the fact that our prayers are answered and they are considered. Now, I want us to also take a step back and consider this point. Is that yes, our prayers have consequences and our prayers set in motion certain spiritual things and physical things that we don't understand. But let's not get any kind of uh, be any kind of disillusioned into the idea that we, we are holding God by a leash and we're kind of pulling him along, telling him what to do. Our prayers have consequences, but God does not bend his knee to us because we prayed. Okay? And, and the reason why we know this uh, is because he, uh, this, this individual even says, he says, um, I'm here, however, I will tell you what is recorded in the writing of truth. This is all figured out, Daniel but I'll fill you in, right? So, and, and what we need to understand is that, yes, Daniel's prayer, it actually affected the spiritual realm, uh, but it didn't affect what's written in the writing of truth. And w w what we need to understand, and uh, it's, it's almost as if God, and I explain this, uh, if you don't know, I actually teach theology um, to high schoolers, and I explain this to them, where 
imagine that God, he, he's, he's considering all the different worlds that he can create. He chose this world to create. He chose a world in which Daniel was going to pray this prayer. And so, yes, Daniel's prayer actually affects things in the spiritual realm, but God chose this world knowing that Daniel was going to pray that prayer. Daniel did not change anything that God wasn't already setting in motion. So do our prayers have consequences? Absolutely. Our prayers have consequences that God has already foreordained. And, and I, I remember this kid, he was pressing me on this. He's just like, so why do we pray at all? God's already foreordained everything. He's already going to do all the stuff that he wants to do. Why should we pray at all? I said, if you don't pray for it, then he didn't foreordain it, did he? Think about that, right? If, if, if you don't have enough faith to actually pray that prayer, then it hasn't been answered. But think about the opposite. If you do pray a prayer, God create, when he created this world, he created this world considering your prayer that you pray tomorrow. He's already considered it and answered it before you even prayed it. Okay, let, me, let me say that one more time. So, uh, so God created this world knowing that you were going to pray a prayer in the future. And he created this world because the consequences of that prayer actually reflects his will. And so before you were even born, God heard your prayers, he's considered your prayers, and he's answered those prayers. That's comforting, isn't it? We, yes, our prayers do have consequences. We are free moral agents. We can actually act how we want. However, we are not holding God's leash. God is still sovereign, and there's comfort in that. Again, we don't have to worry about, oh, did I pray the right thing? Or, oh, maybe I should have prayed about that. Oh, I totally screwed up. This person's not going to get saved now because I didn't pray. No, 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 no. You're not sovereign. God's sovereign. So yes, our prayers have consequences, but rest assured, God's still sovereign. And that's comforting. And also, uh, what's comforting is, uh, is what we see in this passage. Uh, we'll pull up those, uh, that, those different verses about potentially uh, different heavenly beings. Uh, three of those times... Uh, Daniel 10.10, 10, it says, Then behold, a hand touched me and shook me uh, on my hands and my knees. Daniel 10.16, And behold, one who resembled a human was touching my lips, and that allowed Daniel to squeak out a few words, uh, and including the fact that he didn't have breath. Uh, Daniel 10.18, uh, this, this individual touches him again, and he jumps to life, and, he, and uh, so this is, uh, and it says, then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. Again, this uh, is my opinion that this, is, this individual actually would, be, would have been Gabriel or maybe a similar angel. Uh, because we see when Daniel falls into a deep sleep uh, because of the fear of the glory of God, uh, Gabriel touches him and brings him back. But this time when he sees the unveiled glory of God, Gabriel has to touch him three times to bring his strength back. But what we need to recognize is that God did strengthen Daniel. He didn't leave him dead on the ground. He also didn't strengthen him halfway, where he's just on his hands and knees. He didn't just let him just be uh, breathless, but he actually touches his lips. He brings his voice back. And then he touches him again to actually vivify him, actually give him life again. What we need to understand is that, is that God, he will provide the strength and comfort that we need. Again, going back to Revelation, what we also see is that this being, 
this one standing amongst the lampstands. This one that, uh, that has the fiery eyes and the two, sharp two-edged sword is coming out, of his, uh, coming out of his mouth. Don't forget that he's holding seven stars in his hands. Later, this, uh, this is interpreted that, uh, and this one actually explains that these seven stars that you saw in my hands, these are the seven angels of the churches. Again, what we need to understand is that heavenly beings strengthen us. They, are a, they participate in this spiritual warfare with us. And these angels, actually, they're, they're in Jesus' hands. They belong to Christ, right? And we need to remember that we belong to Christ as well. And as we, as we do this work, as we do this work of reconciliation that Christ has given to us, as we recognize the fact that, that Christ has actually provided us, he provides us comfort, he provides us strength, most, most importantly, Christ actually provides us salvation. He provides for us a way out of this broken world. And again, this, this provision of strength and comfort, uh, this, this comes from the person of Christ And again, we understand it more fully when we know, when we understand the glory of our Christ. This this glory uh, that that he manifests in Revelations and I think here in Daniel really kind of sets in priority our minds is that we can rest assured, we can be comforted in the fact that our Christ has this under control. And he may send angels to help us, but what, what is most important is that he is considering us. He knows us. He hears us. And when we pray, he doesn't just let that go. It doesn't sit on his to-do list. Christ hears and he knows and he considers what we do. He considers our prayers. And that alone is comfort. So as we go throughout this week, as we, as we go throughout uh, what we normally do as life, and we always say this at Summit, is that uh, we're, we're not dismissed, but we're sent, right? And, and really just let that sink in. We, we, we've been given the work of reconciliation. We've been given a task to do. We've been given this task of chasing Christ, knowing more about our Christ, knowing more about our salvation, right? Knowing Christ and Christ crucified is how Paul says it. This, this task that's laid before us, uh, we can lean into that. And yes, we might find ourselves exhausted, just like Daniel, Exhausted even to death, but recognize that God won't let us stay there. There is comfort, there is strength. And as we go throughout this life, uh, let's, let's stay focused on this Christ that we have, this, this Christ that actually uh, orchestrates all of history, this Christ that gives us our strength, this Christ that gives us our salvation and life and life abundant. Let's go ahead and pray. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.